For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to another exciting episode of Battleground Florida with Christopher Heath. Now, some kind of housekeeping before we get started here. We are finally on iTunes. That is a big, big move for us. We are on Stitcher, Google Play, and we're now also on iTunes. If you go there and search Battleground Florida, you'll find it. Uh, kind of an unfortunate thing because my first name gets to be a little lengthy. It says Battleground Florida with Christ. Um, yeah, that's not actually the title. Battleground Florida with Christopher Heath. But anyway, I, I do appreciate everyone who's reached out and said they're enjoying the show so far. Please subscribe, leave a written review, and rate us if you could. But uh, that's that's great. Today's episode, I'm really excited about. Andres Malave of uh, Americans for Prosperity is going to be joining us. And Andres and I have known each other for about five, six years now, worked on any number of stories where I've I've relied on him either as somebody who is advocating for some state policy or some federal policy. And we talk a little bit in this interview about not just what AFP is up to and kind of some of the perceptions of the group, but also some of the ways in which AFP has found itself not just working with Republicans, but starting to work with Democrats to try and get some of its goals accomplished. So Andres, with a great interview here, hope you enjoy it. Well, Chris, thanks for having me. It's certainly been, uh, we'll call it a blessing uh, to, to, to be in your acquaintance. Uh, the, uh, you know, Americans for Prosperity has been, has continued to grow. Uh, we've grown our state chapter quite significantly since, since you and I met, uh, when we were sort of a ragtag bunch and, and had, you know, maybe 10, 12 people across the state at that time. Uh, we now have well over, uh, 30 people across the state, 12 offices in the state of Florida alone. We're in 35 state chapters. And we're really focused on trying to drive some significant outcomes, both at the local level, uh, including state politics, but also at the federal level, trying to drive uh, policy outcomes that uh, some people may be surprised about where we may stand on on some positions. But uh, they are really critical issues to the country, like tax and spend issues, healthcare, education, criminal justice reform, just to name a few. When when people say Americans for Prosperity, you guys often get portrayed as this big boogeyman that's out there that's kind of the hatchet man for the right and 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 i've had to correct people and say that that's really not true on the issues they're on they're on those issues but they're not they're not the the lurking boogeyman out there just carrying water for the far right no far from it Uh, i think you know even some of our uh some of the folks that we've partnered with on the right you know have been surprised when we may come down on them for uh, for being on the opposite side of an issue that, that we believe is, is uh, one that, that deserves a certain amount of principled uh, studying into making sure that, that we're driving policies in the right way. Uh, when it's been about, whether it's been about corporate welfare, look, corporate welfare and, and these ideas of subsidizing uh, stadiums or entertainment industry or tourism or, uh, or healthcare or some of these other, or, or anything else that, that uh, programs like Enterprise Florida or Visit Florida might have struck in the past. Now we've been able to, you know, make it toxic somewhat to make sure that lawmakers stay in line to what is actually a priority for state government. They should be focusing on real infrastructure, on education, on the real needs of the communities versus some of these other uh, misspendings. And we've got to be able to be straight shooters with 
Democrats and Republicans. Sure, it's a Republican-controlled House. It's a con- Republican-controlled legislature. It's a Republican governor. But it's been that for, you know, for a lot of years, ever, you know, since Jeb Bush. And which means that Republicans have also been on the side of doling out uh, the goodies. And so where, you know, folks might say, oh, well, Republicans are small government and, and, and pro-business. Well, great. Being pro-business doesn't mean handing businesses, you know, buckets of money and saying good luck and hopefully you keep your promise about the jobs you were going to bring into town. Uh, and, you know, and likewise with Democrats, you know, oh, Democrats are, you know, tax and spend or they're this or they're that. You know, we don't want to put labels on folks. We want to have you know, significant and meaningful conversations with any legislator that's willing to listen to us, that's willing to take a stand on these important issues. And when they do the right thing, we're going to have their back no matter who they are. How difficult is it when you have somebody like in Wisconsin, former Governor Scott Walker, who was somebody that was very closely aligned with Americans for Prosperity, but then Foxconn comes to town and wants a bunch of sweetheart deals to to promise all these jobs. That has to make it difficult when it's somebody you're used to working with that then all of a sudden gets taken into that realm of, well, yeah, but in this one situation, it makes sense to to give them this incentive and open up this line of taxpayer money to this private company. Well, it never makes sense to take public dollars uh, out of the real public need to provide and provide those to a private entity, right? Whether it's Amazon, you know, an organ, a company that just, you know, put cities and pin cities and counties and states against each other, trying to get the next best sweetheart deal. Uh, you know, we're going to suffer from that over in Virginia, where uh, they're going to give them over a half a billion dollars. And well, they got a, they got a plant going in. Handouts. Yeah, they got a plant going in in Nashville and same kind of thing. I mean, everybody you saw when Amazon kind of rattled that cage of, hey, we want a second headquarters. Even Orlando jumped at that and said, "Ooh, we want in on that. And when we said to them, we said, hey, can we can we know what you're offering? Are, are you going to give away the store? They're like that. You know, that's that's secret. And, you know, I think I think from a good public policy standpoint, I'm standing up here and saying, that, that probably shouldn't be secret if you're going to use our taxpayer money to get Amazon to come here. I'd kind of like to know what you're offering them. It should never be a secret, right? That was some of the biggest problems that we saw with the entity uh, Visit Florida, right? I mean, their, their sort of job is to help promote the state. But guess who else is promoting the state? Certainly some of our largest corporations, Disney, all, these other, all the other attractions that are here, uh, our hoteliers, our, our restaurants. A lot of there's more that goes into marketing the state of Florida than the than the small line item at the end of the day that has been visit Florida. Uh, you know, but they're going to sit there and take credit for all of this because, look, you know, we did this ad or we did this special promotion with Pitbull and and, you know, some of these contracts that were incredibly secretive. These government agencies have a responsibility to taxpayers to be as transparent as possible if they're going to exist at all. And in our opinion, you know, a lot of times they, they shouldn't even exist because that's not the proper role of government. Yeah, Universal just rolled out, you know, Epic Universal. And um, you, you can't tell me they're not going to spend a small fortune to ensure that on opening day, there are lines around the block to get into that place. I mean, Disney is going to advertise. And and you, you see that there's there's already this kind of you know, collection out there that is going to push tourism in Florida. And the question then becomes, okay, well, what are, what is the return on investment if we are pumping all this, you know, taxpayer money into this program and you can't just have it there and have it be the sacred cow that nobody wants to touch. And, and that's kind of where I saw you guys over the last couple of sessions in Tallahassee standing up and saying, show us the return, show us where this makes sense financially for the taxpayer. Cause if it makes sense, it makes sense. But if it we're keeping it around just because it's always been there and we think it's doing a good job, that's not practical. That's, that's absolutely right. And we were able to show uh, fairly definitively that 
sports incentives, for example, right? Um, you know, we had the Dolphins that were chat cl- clamoring saying, you know, we can't get a Super Bowl if we don't put a new uh, fancy roof on our stadium. We need $100 million from the state. Well, absolutely not. There's no reason, there's no business purpose for citizens from Orlando or Tampa or Jacksonville or the Panhandle to be paying for something for uh, a business that's out in Miami. Uh, you know, that he's a, he's a, he's perfectly, you know, well off on his own to uh, build or construct any sort of facility that he wants. The taxpayer shouldn't be on the dole for that. And when the state looked at the numbers, they found that it was anywhere between 29 and 45 cent return for every dollar that was invested. So that's a lot, however you slice it. And so we, you know, we were able to show whether it was the fat, whether it was the film incentives. These are just programs that don't make sense financially for taxpayers to be involved in. And when you start to go down these roads, though, you start to find, you know, it's always the it's always the expression is it's not the program you need that people protect. It's the one that you don't need, because that's the one the politician fought really hard for, because they know nobody needs it, except it really, really serves that one purpose. And it's the ones that are on that kind of periphery that you find real quick that, oh, man, I have to fight for this because in my district, this really helps this one person. But as a whole, it doesn't. And when you start to draw these things out, you start to realize real quick that there's a lot of things going on, not just at the local level, but at the state level. Now we're seeing even at the federal level where we're spending money for specific things and there's nobody stopping and saying, wait, why? Yeah, I heard the phrase used at uh, one of the debates uh, this past week. Wish list economics. I kind of like it. Chris, what do you think about that line? I, I think everything is wish list economics. I said to somebody uh, the other day, they were asking, they said, what do you make of the Democrats saying, you know, free Medicare and free this? And I said, everybody likes something free because they think it's free that they're not having to pay for it. This was what we saw in 2016, where you had uh, President Trump saying, well, we're going to build a wall and Mexico will pay for it. That's another way of saying we're going to do something and it's going to be free to you. It's never free to you. This is something you guys know very well. Everything has a cost. The question is, is where is that cost going to come from? Because if I'm going to pay for it, I want to know where is it going? And am I getting a decent return on that investment? Am I saving some sort of money? Because nothing's ever really free. That's absolutely right. And that's why regardless of whether you have an R behind your name, a D behind your name, uh, we're going to stand with you and and give you that backup when you're out there trying to do the right thing, whether it's, you know, fighting corporate welfare, whether it's standing up for uh, solid policy in the criminal justice reform space uh, or in the healthcare space or in the education space. We're trying to build a really broad coalition across the state and across the country to impact some really significant policies. The, the idea that you were saying that um, what we have right now is we have a system where you have both sides saying, I want this thing to be protected and we have to cut over here. You're not really getting into kind of the meat of addressing how we go forward. And and one of the things I saw AFP doing the last couple of weeks was sending out very congratulatory tweets to different politicians that were voting against this most recent uh, lifting of the caps and the spending plan and basically just another trillion dollars uh, of deficit spending going out. And I, I saw a lot of people voting no on this bill. And one of the things that struck me was we see a lot of people voting no, but I've yet to see anyone really stand up and say, I'm voting no, and here's my plan to get us back on the right footing. Here's our plan to do this. Because the other half of that equation is, of course, yes, we're running a very bad deficit. How do we fix that problem going forward? Nobody wants to have that conversation. Absolutely. And look, and this deal is going to put us on track for uh, a worst case scenario as far as the CBO is concerned uh, regarding the debt spiraling out of control. Uh, there, There's really nothing being said uh, by most politicians. Some folks are out there talking about it. 
uh, Senator David Perdue from Georgia. You know, he he's somebody that uh, that we've met with recently that understands that we really need to focus on what some of the biggest drivers of debt are, and that's uh, mandatory spending. People talk about all the time, oh, we went up to Washington and we cut spending. A lot of times when they're talking about that, they're they're talking about discretionary spending at the margins. We're talking about a you know we're talking about fractions of of, of a penny compared to the massive uh, overhauls that are really needed to reform some of these other major major spending programs. Uh, and, it's, and these are tough conversations that always come up around campaign season that always, unfortunately, just keep getting kicked down the road. If you go to americansforprosperity.org, you can actually see some of the, the, the suggestions that we're making to lawmakers. These are some of the tough conversations that we're having with them. Uh, in Washington, D.C. or in their district offices. Members are going to be back in their district now for August recess. This is a great opportunity if you're out there and you're listening and you're concerned about the incredible, uh, quite frankly, frightening uh, national debt crisis to have these conversations with these members, put their, you know, hold their feet to the fire. They ultimately, we've learned that if enough people really do put pressure on them to do a thing, whether it was, you know, stiffening the spine uh, of lawmakers to, you know, be to, to make the issue of corporate welfare toxic in Florida, um, whatever it might be, if enough people make enough noise, there's an opportunity uh, to, to actually get some change done. But until that really starts happening consistently and to get away from the tribalism and to get away from some of these other, uh, you know, uh, issues that we're having uh, sociologically, quite frankly, across the country, we need to band together and, and work together as, as one a little bit more often than not in order to make some of these changes happen. The scary thing is, is that we are running this incredible debt and deficit right now at a time of economic prosperity. We are, we, our economy is still growing, and yet we are spending faster than we've got. Th- there was a tweet that came out from the the president yesterday, and uh, by the time this makes, uh, by the time this podcast posted, it could be older, but it came out on August first, and he says, "Budget deal is phenomenal for our great military, our vets, and jobs, jobs, jobs. Two year deal gets us past the election. Go for it, Republicans. There is always plenty of time to cut." And that tweet jumped out at me for a couple of reasons, and I'll let you respond to this. The two-year deal gets us past the election. Basically, that's saying, listen, 2020, it's going to get us past 2020. You all are in the House. You're all up for re-election, so you don't have to worry about this. A third of the Senate's up for re-election, so this will clear the deck for you as well. And this, and, and the president is also up for his final term. It's basically saying give us this opportunity to kick the can down the road to kind of cover ourselves for the next two years, and then we'll deal with it then. And then he says there's always time to cut. Well, when and what are we going to cut? Because who wants to run in 2022, the next midterm, or in 2024, the next presidential cycle, on, listen, our budget is out of control. We need we need to lower the entrance level for, for Medicare. We're going to have to really trim back Medicaid. Um, by the way, Social Security benefits, that's going to have to change. Nobody wants to run on that. And so basically, you've given up the ghost of do this now, we'll deal with it later. Better yet, do this now, other people can deal with this later. Well, and that's exactly why we're calling on President Trump to veto this bill. Uh, when the last budget was put towards him, uh, he signed it. He signed. He said he signed it begrudgingly. He said that he would never sign a budget deal like that again. We're tra- we want to see him hold him, you know, hold that he should hold himself to his own word uh, and veto this bill. If the if the Congress if he vetoes the bill, what we're actually in luck, Chris. There's there's no threat of a budget shut or a, a government shutdown or anything like that looming right away. There is actually time for them to strike a better deal, have some of these important conversations. Let's get rid of more. Uh, unnecessary spending and corporate welfare. And, you know, they're, they're debating these 
uh, other programs like tax extenders and the Export-Import Bank, there's an opportunity to shut down a lot of this waste and really streamline some of the budget in order to address some of the, you know, this, this, this crisis, quite frankly, this budget crisis. And uh, so we're calling on him to veto the budget. We're hoping that to continue to put some pressure on him. Uh, we've developed a good relationship with his office, having worked with him on uh, the, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, having worked with him on helping pass the First Step Act uh, on criminal justice reform. So we're hoping that he listens to some folks uh, and really takes a look at this budget and doesn't just, doesn't just, uh, doesn't just sign it. Yeah, but who, who wants to have that budget fight in what is now kind of the landing pattern for the 2020 election? That's, and, and, and I, the think, man and, I would say that it's the man and woman that decided that they're going to run for office, that they're going to represent the people of a particular community, the people of a particular state. Those are exactly the tough fights that they signed up for when they went up there. They didn't sign up there just to go to the, the cocktail parties and, and the reception. There's real work that needs to get done, and it's on us to remind them and so appreciate you for always, you know, being out there and, and holding their feet to the fire. But, you know, for the rest of your listeners, it's on you. It's not, you know, it's on you. It's on me. It's on all of us. It's on our families. It's on our uh, friends and neighbors. It's on us to remind these guys that what they're actually up there for, and they got to keep their eye on the prize because the further they keep kicking the can down the road, the worse we're going to be off down the, uh, later on. So tell me about these swanky uh, cocktail parties I hear so much about inside the Beltway. I'm back here in just humble old Orlando. What, what are those like? Are those those are those are fancy, right? Or can, are you not allowed to talk about those? Chris, I told you I, I'm going to do a I'm going to do a short term up here while I, while I'm enjoying uh, uh, the opportunity <laughs> that that my family and I had. But I try to stay I try to stay out of D.C. That's why I live in Virginia. You are sworn uh, to secrecy <laughs> on the cocktail parties. That, that I, I understand. I understand that. Listen, when you go in, they make you fill out those forms. So I heard. I've never actually been to one of those things. So I what, still haven't been given the handshake. You, you haven't. What What do you I miss? Don't. You, you miss Florida. You traded in one swamp for the other. You went from uh, good old swampy Florida to the old swamp of the Potomac. What, what, what do you miss about this state? I miss everything about the state. Look, that's where I grew up. That's where my family is. Uh, I certainly miss our uh, our tax climate. I can tell you that the you know what they're doing here in Virginia, left and right, with regard to spending, is just out of absolutely out of control. Especially at the county level, where again, like I said, they they've you know plotted to give Amazon uh, half a billion dollars. Uh, I'm paying for that now. Florida, I, I Florida would have tripped over itself to give Amazon a half a billion dollars if they had said they were going to Miami. I, I, and, and you know, we would have we would have fought them every step of the way. Fair, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. But you know, it's one of those things when when New York had that whole dust up with you know kind of giving away the farm to get Amazon to come there, and people were throwing a fit. And I was saying you know what, they're going to go to another city and another city is going to give them that money. And then maybe that's a defeatist attitude, but I, I've just seen it so many times where it's, you know, these these businesses know that if they come to, you know, if they come to Orlando and say, hey, you give us $5 million to build a factory, and Orlando says, uh, no, we're not doing that, they're going to go to Tampa and say, hey, Tampa, $5 million, we'll build a factory. And Tampa may say no, and then they're going to be like, okay, we'll go down. And, but eventually they will find somebody that's going to do it because everybody loves that gold shovel and that picture of them turning the dirt and saying, I've just created all these jobs. I gave away part sure, of the and that's store. Why we, and that's why we've got to get rid of that as a policy altogether, right? It's created this environment and fostered this culture of, of cronyism, and that's exactly what we're trying to fight against to try to get, abolish these policies that otherwise uh, you know, are preventing public dollars from being used for their best public good. Uh, look at, look at, there's actually a, a fun story that's going on right now between Missouri and Kansas, the boundaries, the boundary line between Kansas city that's on both sides of the state between, between Kansas and Missouri. They actually just had to call a ceasefire on each other because they were constantly, uh, 
offering money to one headquarters that was on the Missouri side. The Kansas side was offering money to the organization on the other side. Companies were just moving back and forth every couple of years to take advantage of these tax credits. And at the end of the day, the net job gain, net job loss was always, you know, was within, was within, you know, minimal margin. But the only thing that was constant was that tax dollars were being just funneled into private enterprise in a way that absolutely shouldn't have been happening. Yeah. How many so times, you know, some, go ahead. How many times can you watch the Raiders move from LA to Oakland and back to get back again? And then ultimately now say, Oh, we're going to Vegas before you realize uh, there, there, there's no loyalty there. It's just, we're going to pack up and move whether we're a professional football team or a company to wherever we get the better deal. Yeah, look again, and it's not even, and it's not the Raiders fault and it's not Amazon's fault and it's not uh, any of these other organizations fault in, in that sense. Right. I mean, there is this incentive, there's this perverse incentive that exists through government, through the politicians that are choosing to engage in these sort of uh, cronious policies that need to be addressed. The company, you know, is, is taking advantage of something that exists, so they're not doing anything illegal, right? They're just taking advantage of this, of this perfectly legal thing that's out there. And so until we put enough pressure on our lawmakers to stop doing these things, look, Amazon as a company, they are going to continue to grow. They are going to continue to invest in themselves. The LA Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders, you know, Flint, I think, wherever, I think they're still they're technically from. in Oakland right now. I'm, I think, okay. they're, yeah, they got Chucky they, as know, their head they're, coach. They're, they've got, yeah, love Coach Gruden. Uh, they're going to continue to try to do what's best in the interest of their team to, to be profitable. Taxpayers have no business in 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 that in you know in their field. So. Uh, the better that the more that we can do to chime, uh, sound the alarm to lawmakers that they need to stop supporting these sort of policies, the better. Uh, we're talking, uh, we've talked about businesses and we kind of got a little bit into sports here, but that's another thing you guys have been very big on is the sports subsidies. The, the team that says, you know, oh, we need, we need a new roof. We need a new, uh, we need a new vending, you know, system. We need this, we need that, or we're going to pack up and move. Um, call the bluff. And, and a lot of cities are seem unwilling to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's unfortunate. And we're seeing quite the drama play out right now in Tampa Bay with the Rays threatening to play half their season in Montreal uh, or, or any others. And look, and we're going to tip our, our hat to, to the teams that do it right. Uh, you've got the Tampa Bay Rowdies out there who have their, their owner uh, has uh, funded their, their facility uh, on his own dime. Uh, I'll give a lot of kudos. I know that there's probably some county deals and things like that, but the Orlando City Soccer, and I'm a big fan still of the of the Lions. Uh, you know, they got they got reamed up here by Rooney uh, and the DC United <laughs> guys. That wasn't that wasn't fun to watch, but um, you know that team was asking the state of Florida for they thirty play with million a lot dollars of a couple of years. They sure do. That team was asking the state of Florida for thirty million dollars a couple of years ago. You know, we started putting pressure on lawmakers to to do away with that, and the and the uh, Orlando City folks said, you know what, we're going to take care of this on our own. And they started getting creative. They started figuring things out. They're a private business. And, and so far, the community is continuing to support them. And that's fantastic. I loved going to those games and I was going to continue supporting them. But my tax dollars have no business, you know, facilitating their, their profit. So uh, it's absolutely, it's an easy subject for, for us to get involved in because it's so obvious that it's not the role of government. All right, that is it for today's show. I want to thank Andres for calling in. That's our first phone call in. First time we've used the Bluetooth to try and record one of these podcasts. I I think it sounded pretty good. Let me know if there's anything you wanted to hear that we didn't quite get to in that and um, kind of some of the future you know direction we can go with this. We're we're four episodes in. We haven't even 
haven't even crossed the threshold of being in, eligible for syndication yet. So it's a long way to go. But I do appreciate Andres for calling in. And I really appreciate everyone who has taken the time to listen to the show and to reach out about it. It, it is fantastic to kind of see some of the some of the responses we're getting to this. I enjoy doing this program. And we're going to continue to churn these out. Try and do about two a week. Let me know if you want this to be longer, shorter, maybe just, you know, some topics you'd like to hear going forward because really trying to still feel out exactly where we're taking this thing, but having a lot of fun doing it and really getting to meet and talk to some just great people. So anyway, let me wrap up by saying thank you to everyone for listening. I am Christopher Heath coming to you from the Parish Medical Center podcast studio here at WFTV. This has been another episode of Battleground Florida, and we will see you next time.